Hey, how you doing? This is Thomas Payne of Prison Promise OG Sales Redemption. Today, I'm going to be the guest on the show, and I'm going to be interviewed by my producer here, Dan Lyons. And we're going to, you know, he's going to ask me some questions, and, you know, hopefully you guys can get a better understanding of me and Prison Promise and what I'm about. I'm going to let Dan introduce himself, and, uh, you know, and then you guys uh, will take it from there. Hey, everyone. I'm Dan Lyons. I am producer here on Prison of Promise. I'm very happy to be in front of the camera <laughs> here instead of behind it for the first time. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to be here. Uh, and as I've told you off camera, I'm really uh, happy to be included on this project. And I hope it, uh, yeah, just get off the ground and I'm really excited to see where it goes. But yeah, so I guess without further ado, you uh, asked me to prepare some questions for you to, I guess, help people um, who we're trying to, I guess, reach out to understand what you're trying to do. So um, I've, yeah, I guess, tailored these to kind of help um, yeah, people that maybe don't, maybe aren't super familiar with the prison system or familiar with really what the topics that you explore um, are or how they affect people. So yeah, I guess without further ado, let's see, uh, I guess, let's see kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get it on. Let's, let's see what you got for me. Yeah, so I think the first one that I really wanted to know, and I think people that maybe know you but haven't heard your full story want to know is tell tell us about your life before prison. Um, specifically, like I know that you've had a lot of you had a lot of successes in in high mm -hmm. school. Um, you you talked a lot about how you had like a lot of social recognition and real potential for success. So can you explore that a little bit? Well, well, how, how my childhood and everything went, really, it was, I was raised by my grandmother and grandfather, you know, me and my uh, cousin, Lillian Payne Thomas, and uh, my other cousin, Cecilia Payne, they call her Riri. We was raised in, uh, at the time they called it Holland Avenue. Well, they call it Holland Avenue now, but it used to be Evelyn Heights back in the day. We was raised out in a little small community out there, you know, not many people. And, um, you know, my grandfather, he was he was a hustler. He was a junk man, and he had a junkyard, and, you know, he, he showed me the value of work. And, you know, at a young age, I had to get up with him on weekends and go out and work and everything. And, you know, it instilled something in me about the work ethic at a young age. And then as I got older, I was good at baseball. So, you know, that was my thing. My friend Kenny Sims said that was always my best sport. You know, I was, had the home run king, you know, in, in baseball. and. I was a pitcher, played a third base, catcher sometime. I mean, and I was good. I was just all around athlete. And then as time got on, I started not liking baseball, but gravitating towards basketball because baseball was getting a little too slow as I was getting older. So then I developed the skill of basketball and football. So, you know, I just excelled in sports and that's what I was known for. And that's what I thrived for was my sports. And as time went on, you know, I was, um, when, when I, my mom got, got me when I would say like, uh, like 11 or 12, because my mom was young when she had me, you know, and, um, you know, when I got with my mom, you know, that's when life got, you know, exciting because I was just really getting good at sports and my name was getting out there. My mom was proud of me. I was making her proud and, and, you know, it just, 
it, it, it did something to me, you know, and just made me hungry for it. So, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, I'm better in sports. And then, you know, now I'm no longer Tom Payne in sports. I'm STP, as they call me. You know, that was what they called me in high school, Super Tom Payne. And um, I used to love it, you know, going to, on the field. You hear the crowd hollering, STP, STP, or on the basketball court, STP, STP, or, or track. You know, and, and I, I, I craved that that attention. I was addicted to the hype. I was addicted to it. I mean, and I had to have that fame and glory. I mean, and and then in my senior year in high school, well, I'm, I'm going to backtrack. When I was a, a sophomore, I went to a five-star basketball camp. You know, it was a good camp in uh, Robert Morris College in a, in Pittsburgh, me and my buddy uh, Steve Lewis. And, um, you know, there was like 150, maybe 300 guys there, somewhere around that nature. And, you know, they're all, all over the world. And I, I got the top rebounder out of the league. You know, it was like, back then it was like the NCAA and then like the seniors and the, and the upper class and they was playing in like the NBA, as they call it. And in the NCAA my year, I was like only six like six one at that time, but I, I could jump high. I had a vertical where I could stand under the backboard and jump up and touch the top of the square on the vertical jump. So I'm like, love to dunk on big guys. So, you know, I, in five star, I made a name for myself. So then when I came back, when I, when that basketball season started, you know, I was, I was developed better because of my training at five star basketball camp. And then, you know, jumping up to my uh, senior year, I'll never forget it. This is when, my life went from sugar to shit. I, uh, I, I was, I was sneaking around with the cheerleader, which was white, you know. And uh, one night after a football game, I'm, I'm coming out of my neighborhood and, and I'm driving her mom's car. So I uh, come down this little one way, which you know you're not supposed to, but I did anyway. And, and I, as soon as I turn on the main street, a cop is right there. And he, and you know, he hit his lights. So I'm like, oh, wow. So I gave my license and, you know, Tom Payne, you know, they all know me. Then they reached down to see the girl I was with and me driving her mom's car. And after that, the word got out. Her mom caught wind of it. And, and you know, the city, you know, everybody caught wind of it. And it was like horrible. And then I actually got kicked out of school for it, for real. That's where my life turned. I got kicked out of school, kicked off the team. Oh, man, it was horrible. So you got kicked off of the team, kicked out of school for for dating a white girl? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Who who was responsible for that? I mean, that's insane. That's, I mean, that's I, was, I was 17 years old, and I mean, and they, you know, they, they, I mean, my mom fought it. She was, that's what hurt me the most because I, I had hurt her too, you know. And, and you know, they fought it, fought it. You know, they didn't budge. You know, it was my senior year. They didn't have no more to do for me. One of the highly recruited athletes in the state of Ohio. And they just threw me away. Threw me away. What year was that? This was, in, uh, I got 83, 82, 83 year. Yeah. What did that do? you're real young at this point. Yeah. What, is it, what does that do to your... Oh, your man. It, I went through a major depression. 
I went through, I mean, it was, it was bad. I just sat in my room for a while, you know, all day and night. Just couldn't go nowhere. My mom couldn't motivate me. I couldn't motivate me. I didn't have no father figure or, or no kind of male role model in my life. So I just basically went on the way. Went on the way. It, it was hard, but, you know, because sports was my life. I was, you know, that was going to get my mom a house, and I knew I could have made it. But when that happened, at that age, it just, I don't know, I wasn't the same no more. I was heartless. So is that, is that the moment when you, when you think everything kind of changed? What was it? To, walk me through that moment. Was that? Well, that moment right there, I said the worst two words in the world. And I tell anybody that. When you say, fuck it, it's over. And that's what I did. I said, fuck it. And at that time, I just, you know, I knew guys who was out here hustling in the street. You know, and, and then, you know, I want to say one more thing. There's one guy, I'll never forget him. His name was Chuck Shoop, old, uh, Mr. Shoop. After all that happened, he came around every day trying to talk to me. You know, and I'm listening, but I'm not listening. Now I'm getting into the street world. He came around every day. And like, you know, come with me. You know, I got a college in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. But you know, I'm Tom Payne, Omaha, Nebraska. I don't know, Omaha, Nebraska. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and he kept coming around, kept trying. Then after a while, I just started hiding from him because the streets are having me there. Now I'm making, you know, $1,000 a day, you know, hustling. You know, they kicked out of school, so I mean, you know, hey, what am I going to do? So, you know, I just I just went to the street, man. I, I, to this day, I wish I'd have listened to Chuck Shoop. And another good guy that always gave me good advice was a guy named John Gamble. You know, and, and you know, there was, there was a whole lot of other ones, but they was, they tried to help me. But after I got kicked out of school, I just lost faith in people. Yeah. What was it about the streets that was so attractive. The streets was attractive because when I was on the field or the court or something, I was STP, you know, and, and that's what my motivation. I loved it. So when I went to the street, as crazy as it was, I started calling myself T motherfucking P. You know what I mean? So because I was, you know, I was a motherfucker out there. You know what I mean? So I was the same ones who was calling me STP. They was also called me team up because they was coming to get the drugs that I had. So I still had that same fame and glory from the field and the court and the track as I did now in the dope game. So I still had that adrenaline rush. So now I'm, I'm important again. You know, now I'm on speed dial again. Now I'm somebody again. So it was like the, the, the instant gratification of the streets, man, that, you know, it was like, okay, well, I can hustle, make money. And still be, you know, Tom Payne, STP, team of, I mean, whoever, yeah, I'm the man. I just wanted to always be the man. So then I just, it, it just got crazier and crazier. Now I'm starting to, you know, use some of my own supply, you know? And, you know, and, and that's when things was, got out of control, you know, because I'm making the money and now I got the girls. Now, you know, we're partying all night long. 
you know, get up, sleep all day, you know, so what? We make the money when we get up, you know. So it was a lifestyle that no, there's no rules. You do what the heck you want to do. The only rules was be true to the streets and streets be true to you, you know. And that was the motto that I lived by. But, you know, it, it, it just sucks you in. Once the streets get a hold of you, it ain't easy to get out of that grasp. I mean, penitentiary is only a break from the street life. Then when you go to penitentiary, come back, you run right back to it. The street life is an addiction within itself because it's the hustle and the bustle of it. Some people are addicted to the, to the hustle and bustle of the streets, man, because, you know, it's exciting. I mean, you don't, there's no dull moments when you live in the street life because something can go down at any second, you know, and that's why that I'm the way I am in a lot of ways that I, I observe everything, I observe everybody, I observe every situation. I can pull in anywhere I might go and I already done surveyed the whole parking lot. And I done seen the guy sitting over in his truck on his phone ain't nobody even paying attention to. I done seen it all because that's the senses you got to have on the street. If you let your guard down, you could be dead. You know, so that it, I still have them senses. And the street, the streets is still in me as far as my as far as, you know, my observation of things. But, you know, as far as like the actual street life, no, you know, but the observation, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to read people because you got to read people in order to survive in the street. And you, and, you know, one false move, you know, and it's over. You know, so that was the addiction, the adrenaline high. So you've, you've talked a lot about, I think, the relationship between Oregon Streets versus being in prison, right? Can you tell me about the first time that you got caught uh, and taken to prison? What was that like? Oh, man. I'll tell you what. The first time I got, I got jammed up, I went, I went to jail... And when you go to jail, in the county jail, you, you still think you got a chance. You know, you like, okay, I, might, I can get out. I, as soon as I go to court, I know I can get out. I'll bond out or I'll get out, you know. And so, you know, you go to court and then they raise your bond. And you'd be like, oh, man, now you know you're not getting out. Right now, anyway. But you still got hope. And, you know, as time goes on, you find out, you know, that it's more serious than you thought. And you might be here for a little while. Now you're into a depression mode. Now you're depressed. You're stuck in this cell. All you got in that cell is you and your thoughts. And you relive every step you have lived in your life because that's all you can do is think about the things that got you in this position. And it's mental torture, you know. And and then once you figure out, like, I'm really not getting out of here, I'm going to go to prison, then you, your whole mindset has to change from this county jail mindset to a, a CRC, the reception center mindset, where you're locked down in your cell 23 hours a day and you get one hour a day out. So now you got to put your mind in that frame of mind. How am I going to deal with this? I have never been through nothing like this at the time. And it, it, it's a transformation every step you have because you got to turn into a new person every step that you go. You can't be the same guy in the CRC as you was in the county jail. You know what I'm saying? Because the rules have changed. You know, the people has changed and the situation has got more serious. You know, and then once you go to prison, 
that's where, as, as you know, it's crazy to say the fun starts. Because county jail was rough, CRC was rough, but prison was, it, it's sweet. You know, because there's nothing that you can't do in prison. I mean, it, there's, there's, you know, they got, you can give it to women COs. I mean, you can, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could, you know, I was at Orient back in the day when, uh, back in, uh, what was that, 91 or 92, I was at Orient. And, and, you know, they had a hospital at Orient. So, you know, you know, they had a lot of, a whole lot of drugs at Orient. I mean, so you can make money at Orient. So what you do, you, you, you know, you had cash money. Guys on a visit would still, you know, swallow money in different ways to bring in money. You get cash money for your drugs. So you go down to the hospital, they call it Frazier. And you know, the, worst, the nurses come in, they're only working for a temp service and they get paid every two weeks. So, you know, when you come in, you gotta work that week in a hole and you know, you gotta go like almost a month before you get paid. So what we would do, we got cash money so we go down there, you know, fake like we're sick, go to go to Med Bay, and we'll holler at the nurses. One of them's gonna bite. Somebody is gonna bite. You know, you show them a little money, somebody's gonna bite, and, and it never fails. You know, one of them bites, you know, you give them a little money, you, you, you know, you take care of your business, you go on about your business. You keep your mouth shut, you know, you continue on. You know, but yeah, it's, you know, prison was, I didn't respect it because it wasn't nothing. In prison, like I said, in high school, I was STP. On the streets, I was T-motherfucking P. When I went to prison, I was big pain because I played basketball in prison all the time and I was real good, so I had status. I had status. I was respected. So, you know, all the drugs come in, they, they bring them to me, you know, and cigarettes, you know, they, they pay you to play in prison. So, you know, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I sold drugs in prison. Yeah, you know, because I was a drug dealer. So it continued. So I think what, and this is like, I think this runs contrary to what a lot of people, especially like on the outside, think about prison. I think when like the normal, like a, like the normal person you grab off the street would just be like, uh, I, I mean, I assume it's just locked down 24 seven. You can't do anything in there. But I think that picture is like completely different than what a lot of people oh, think. Oh yeah, yeah. So like maybe, maybe talk about what, what are those biases that you think normal, everyday people who have not been in prison maybe are associated with it? Like what, what misconceptions do they maybe have about it? Well, the misconception I think people have about prison is that when you go to prison, you're coming out a better person. No, I mean, it works for some, but a very small percentage. Because when you go to prison, you learn things that you didn't know. You meet people that you would have never met before. And, and in prison, ain't nobody there for being good. So, you know, everybody got a different game, you know? So you learn different things from different people. And, and, and then you, when you get out, you implement that into your street life of what you learn in prison. To me, prison is nothing but a, a stepping stone to creating a monster. Because there is no rehabilitation in prison. Prison is only discipline. You know, there is no change that happens in prison. Change got to happen within yourself. And if you go to prison thinking you're going to change, it's not going to happen because really, prison really makes you worse because you see, I mean, I done seen guys get killed. I seen one guy that's get a, a shank that's ran right through him on the yard for stealing some headphones from a guy and the headphones didn't even work. And the guy that got killed was about ready to get out 
in like, what, a month off an 18-month bit. You know, so, I mean, sometimes prison can be a death sentence. Sometimes it could be a learned experience. But most of the time, it creates a monster. Talk, talk more about uh, those experiences that you had on the inside. Like, when you, like, I, I think, like, if you could paint a picture of that level of violence, what's that, what's the, what's the social oh, life man. like? As you're talking about being Big Pain, yeah. you know, who is Big Pain in that environment? See, and, and as I would say, Big Pain, you know, that was somebody that's respected in penitentiary. Big Pain was respected because, like I said, I was good at sports. I was I was big, cut up. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew how to handle my business. And in prison, if you don't, if somebody punks you out, everybody's going to punk you out. So you got to go in there with the mentality like, <clears throat> I'm not taking no crap. You know what I mean? And you got to stand on that. You can't go in there acting tough and talking that talk, but can't when it comes down to action, you can't get down. You can't fight. You, you know, you're going to run and tell the CO and all that, and then you really got a problem. You know, now, now you're a snitch in the joint. You know? So the level of violence that I have seen, I have seen, I mean, those guys get raped. I have seen... Guys get, like I said before, just get straight up killed. And I was in prison at Orient at the time of the Lucaville riot that happened in Lucaville's prison. And at that time, they had shut down all the prisons in the state of Ohio. We always on lockdown because of the Lucaville riot. And in prison, like for that, even that riot, it's the stupidest stuff can start off a riot in prison. Now, mostly that riot was due to commissary prices on black products. That was a whole lot to do with that riot because the, the commissary price on the black products was more than it was for the white products. And, you know, the, a lot of the Muslims and a lot of brothers, they weren't going to take up. They weren't going to take that no more. So they just had a full out riot, you know, because that's so, in prison. You figure that's the only way that they're going to hear us is if we tear it. They're going to say, tear this motherfucker up. You know, and, and that's the mentality you got to have in there. It's like kill or be killed. You know, big dog eat little dog. You know, so a lot of guys come in there and think that because they're quiet and stay out the way that they're going to make it in prison. No, you're a target. You're a target, you know. And prison is somewhere where, you know, a lot of blacks feel comfortable because we're the, we're, we, we run it. We, we got the most people in prison. So, you know, this is one place that we run, you know, and, and that's the mentality of it, you know. Yeah, we, we, we run that. Here's a hard question. Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, because, let me tell you something. I, I have been in prison for, off and on for the last 20 years. You know, I have not one time been offered or sent to a drug treatment program? Never. And all of my charges are drugs. And I have never, because that just goes to show, the prison don't give a dang about you, man. The judges don't give a dang about you, man. The prosecutor don't care about you. And that little little lawyer in these old bell-bottom suits that they give you for a public defender, he don't care about you because everybody in the courtroom going home but you. You know what I mean? You think they're going to lose sleep because you went to prison? No, they that's their job. They do it every day. I got to say the judges, prosecutors, cops, 
all the people like they're heartless because they can ruin your life if they're having a bad day. And it happens all the time. You know, and prison is not helpful because it does nothing for you. But like I said before, it creates a monster. You're sitting in a cell. All you can do is think. And that's the worst thing for a person can do is sit around and think all the day because, you know, idle minds are devil's playpen, you know, and that's what they're doing. They put you in there and they just throw you away. The COs don't care about just their job. You know, they don't care if you die. Like the CO, like the saying for the CO, we're going to do eight and hit the gate. That's, that's the model. That's what they do. Come in and do eight, hit the gate, go home. And then once they go home, they don't give a dang if, if you die or not. You know, you're just job security. If you die, we got another guy that's waiting to take your rack. So, I mean, it's it's like a warehouse. You know, they just move you in, move you out, move you in. And then it's free labor. You know, you're in there, you're working for like, what, 18 cents a day. And the products that you're working with, they're selling it to the public. They're selling it to different factories. And you get 18 cents a day for doing all the work and all they do is stand there and watch you work, and they're making $35, $40 an hour. And they do nothing but but walk around and talk on they play on their cell phones and 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 you know try to see oh trying everybody trying to fuck each other. Everybody. I mean it's just a, it, that's just what it is in prison. You know. I mean and the COs are no better. I mean they like I said, they don't care because like their motto, eight and hit the gate. You know, so prison, it don't work. It don't because they don't give you no kind of help. You know, and then they say that you can go to college and all that. But yeah, you could do that. But the, on the street, they're not even going to acknowledge that. They don't acknowledge that. I know guys got certificates this high and they can't get a job because they, they don't acknowledge that on the street. So prison is just like a, it's just like a warehouse full of monsters. Yeah. What was the moment when you were in like something has to change. I can't do this anymore. My my uh, get it right or die moment was in federal prison. I mean, the years of all the years I did in state, hey, wasn't nothing. State was easy, you know. wasn't no no nonsense, you know. I, you know, your big pain. No matter where you go, because the penitentiary was a penitentiary world was a small world. You know what I'm saying? But everybody knows knows you you know in the penitentiary if you are somebody but when i went to the federal penitentiary that right there was a wake-up call it was a wake-up call because when it first happened and i'm in that butler county jail not knowing what's going on you know i didn't went they didn't arrest me shot me into the to the uh to see the magistrate you know right right when i got there and, you know, they're talking about, you know, uh, conspiracy to distribute a kilo of cocaine, I mean, heroin, and a $10,000, 10, no, $10 million bond, and, you know, and all this, you know, and they like, you know, get out of here. I'm like, oh, hold up, what now, hold up, what's going on here? I mean, somebody tell me something, but they don't tell you nothing. Then they take you to Butler County Jail, and and you, you'll sit in that, in that jail, man, for like maybe six months without hearing anything from the outside. You don't know, you ain't heard nothing from the courts because they never let you know when you're going to court in the federal system. And you'll sit there six months before you even go see a judge, if not longer. And then, you know, 
when you go in the federal courtroom, I have never been intimidated by a courtroom in my life. I would go in the courtroom like I ran it, no matter what. But in that federal courtroom, <laughs> I tell you what, I that scared me. It was just the, the feel. You could feel the power in that room, you know, and 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 you felt I have no power in here. I have none. And you are literally like scared to death because you don't know what's going to happen. And then, you know, at the first hearing, really nothing never happens anyway. Just read your charges, take you back to the to the county jail. Then you sit there for maybe like nine or ten months again before you even go back to court. No one even talks to you. You're just sitting there and one morning they might say, Pain court. And you're like, oh, what? I mean, you don't, that's how it works. And then you go again and then they go try to make a deal, you know, because in the feds, they sentence you in months. So you can't figure up that sentence while you're standing there in front of the judge. You know, because I know some guys that get like a 180 months, 160 months, you know, and when you're hearing them numbers, them is months, you know, so you can't figure that up standing right there. So, you know, you would always know when they get back to the, the jail, you would know they done figured it up. You hear them in the, head, in the jail like, oh, hell no, you hear them in the cell because they done came back from court and figured up them 160 months and how much actual years that is. You know, that's why the Fed system, they run in months and, and it kills you, man, because, you know, you got all these months to do. Some guys doing 360 months, 380, some guys are never getting out. And when you go in there in the federal system, well, let me backtrack, because when you leave the county jail, you don't even know where you're going. They'll just wake you up one morning and take you to Lexington. And they got a, a a federal holding thing in back of the airport in Lexington, Kentucky Airport. People wouldn't even know that. I mean, back there, there are like thousands of inmates from all over, handcuffed and shackled, going to the the uh, the, the federal penitentiary's plane to, to fly to Oklahoma. You know, I mean, there is guys, there is people everywhere out there. I mean, it it, it was crazy. And everybody's shackled and and, and, and and handcuffed, you know, scraping to the plane. Then you're on the plane with like about, I say about 150, maybe 200 guys. All everybody's shackled. The plane's raggedy. I mean, just like Con Air. You ever see Con? Air? That's just the type of plane that they had. I mean, you hit turbulence in there, man. You're going up like this, and you're thinking about, man, this thing go down. We're all dead, you know. And then when you get to the prison. The plane flies right into the prison. You don't see no daylight. The airplane flies right into the penitentiary. Then when the door is open, you're already inside. It is, you know, escort you down to the holding cells. But when I was in that situation, that's when I knew it was real. That's when I knew that you either change or this is your life. And as I had stayed on one of my other shows in federal penitentiary, everybody's in the game. You know, if you're from wherever you're from, I'm from Ohio, 061. So if anybody that's in 061 has a beef with anybody from anywhere, you know, we got to roll all together. 
you know, and, and it, that's just how it goes, you know, and, and, you know, and then the whites don't really, the whites don't fool with blacks. The Mexicans don't fool with the Puerto Ricans and the Mexicans don't fool with the, the, the blacks. And, you know, it, everything is segregated. The whole federal penitentiary is segregated. There is no, me and you are friends, but we can't go and eat together. Really, we actually can't even really hang together. You being white and I'm black. Or you being Mexican and I'm black. I mean, and then, you know, you can always know when tension is in the air in the federal city because everything's quiet. And everybody got on their tennis shoes or their boots. And that's another thing that people don't know in the federal penitentiary, you gotta, you really can't even go, like if you're going to take a shower, you better just gotta take a guy with you to watch your back while you're in the shower. Because a hit can go down at any time in the feds. You don't know where it's coming from, but you always got to be on guard. I mean, hits go down all the time in the federal system, you know, because that's everybody in there got money. Everybody can get something done, you know? And it would, that's what made it so bad, man, because if you're in the federal system and you're trying to do the right thing and get out and, you know, you know, do better in your life, the feds is... The feds that teach you to hate the government, the feds that teach you to hate people, the feds will teach you like anybody can have it, anybody can die, anybody can just get it because I don't care. They, the feds make you so mad and so bitter that you don't care. You don't care because you could die any day in the feds and, or that's any prison, but the feds is, is, is more crazier because even like, I want to tell you this, even like when you go in the yard for wreck, you have like 300 guys out there and they lock you in on the yard. They lock the, they lock the gate, two COs might be out there, they come out. And I mean, it's, if your paperwork ain't right, like your paperwork, that's like, you know, if you signed a deal and you told on somebody and all that, you can't go out in a penitentiary. In, in the federal system. you got to show your paperwork when you get there. If your paperwork ain't right and you told on somebody, oh, no, you, you got to go. You can't be there. You know, and, and you know, you always got to show your, you got to carry your paperwork with you, your plea agreement with you, no matter where you go in the federal system. And then the head people of, of each car, as they call it, like like in the Midwest, 061, there was a guy that he was over all of us. you got to show them your paperwork within 30 days of getting there. If you ain't got your paperwork, you better call your lawyer or somebody to get a copy of your plea agreement. If you don't have it in 30 days, they make you, they're, they're, they call it run you up. What that means is they will make you go to check yourself into the hole and you never can step foot on this ground again. So that's why I'm saying the, paper, the, the federal system is so, so corrupt, man. Inside and out, inside and out. So when you're talking about that, this is, I mean, it's just interesting to me, like, you say within 30 days, is that an actual thing that the prison put in place, or is that what the no, gangs are doing? The, the, so no, that's like a system within... Yeah, no, 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 the, the, the warden and them don't run nothing. That's not, that, this is no, like, this is run yeah, this, by... Yeah, the penitent, federal penitentiary is ran by us. Yeah. It's ran by us, because just say... For instance, the Midwest 061 get, get into a big brawl with the guys from down south. All right. What they'll do, the warden will call, they call them shot callers. 
And that's the guys who, who's, above, who's the leaders of, of all this. So they will call them to his office. And he say, are we going to squash this or are we going to war? So if they tell the ward, we're going to war, they'll lock us down for two weeks. And then after two weeks, they'll let us off lockdown. Then war is going to happen anyway. They just prolong it. But they think, you know, we keep it down two weeks, you know, cooler heads will prevail. But there is no cooler head when you got nothing but monsters. So this is literally like a political system within the prison system. Oh, yeah. Between these, like, different factions. And so that's, that's crazy. How do you, I mean, my question is, like, how did you make it out of it? It seems like war. Well, it is war. But, you know, you just got to the grace of God sometimes, huh? Sometimes it's the grace of God. I mean, I'm not a religious man. You know, I believe in God. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, God God, God saved me out of that situation. Because when I was in my cell one day, and I think I had been there for like maybe like five or six months, and now I know the whole how it all operates. And, and I just looked in the mirror one day, and I said, nah, I said, I said, God, man, if you real, man, take that straight life out of me, man. Take, take me and make me whole, man. Make me who I'm supposed to be. Make me who my mama wanted me to be. Make me who my mama raised me to be. Make me be that man. And it was crazy because something came over. I just smiled at myself in the mirror. And from that point on, I was like a different guy. And it was crazy. And then I signed up for this um, RDAP, a residential drug and alcohol treatment in, in prison. And you go and, you know, you, you move into a whole nother unit and you're with guys from all over the United States, you know, and it's a real hard program. You know, you gotta, you gotta like really strip yourself naked of who you used to be and rebuild yourself. And I, you know, and you got to have a mission. You got to read a mission statement when you get there. And all. So I'm like, man, I can't remember this, you know. And then you be like, man, I ain't going to be up here, man, looking stupid, not being able to remember this. So I, I, I applied myself. So I got the mission statement down, and, you know, which I didn't think I could do. So then, you know, when, when you violate a rule, because every morning you have a community meeting. Everybody's out. You know, you got to have one you creased up and everything. Everybody's out there. And if you if you violated a rule the night before, they can do something they call a pull up. So a pull up is they'll address the behavior of the rule you broke, and you know you gotta somebody comes they ask for feedback, and they'll call somebody out the audience, and they will more or less like, you know, chastise you, you know, and you gotta sit there and take it. <laughs> so I remember the first time I broke a rule, and they pulled me up. So. They call the guy up and he oh, he's letting me have it. And I just gotta stand there and take it. I'm thinking to myself, like, this motherfucker, man. Like, who in the hell do you think he's talking to? I mean, I had to really like hold back from like, you know, busting this dude in his face. You know what I mean? And it was the grace of God that <laughs> he must have really been working with me that day because it took a lot. And um I I I endured it. I took it. And then I started working, seeing how the program works. And then, which was so crazy, as time went on, I started progressing in the program. 
I got good at giving feedback. Like when somebody have a major rule violation, you know, I, I they would call me for feedback because I had got so, like, you know, just let the guy have it. I mean, and they, you know, they told me, they said, well, you, you make us feel like our dad, you know, chastises us when we mess up. And the guy, the people who were running the program, they seen how I was giving feedback and they started like, you know, hey, we like that, you know, because I was just open and raw, just letting the guy have it, you know what I mean? And don't give a dang how you feel. I'm going to let you have it like you're supposed to have it. That's how they did me in the program and it helped me. So I did everybody else like that. And I, I raised up in the program, you know, which I was highly respected in the program because I would give major feedback on violations that was being broken. And all that comes from that first prayer I had when I got there and I asked God to show me and lead me to the person that you know I could be. And he led me into the leader that I always was, but I lost sight of him. You know what I mean? And he inst- he brought that back out, that leadership ability, that that uh, that that just being real, being raw, and just be who you are. And he brought that back out of me that I had lost so many years ago. And it was it, it transformed me. It transformed me. Um, yeah. So the next question I wanted to ask you about. So as you're talking about this, like the way I see it is. You're up here, right? Mm-hmm. You're STP. You drop down in here, right? Yep. You spend a good chunk of your life down here, right? Yep. And then you start working back up, right? Yep. Your family is with you on that. Sure. Can you talk about the impact from beginning to end that it had on your family? Oh, uh, man. I tell you what. My um, my mother my mother passed away. It was uh, New Year's. New Year's one, I think it was '96, and I was in the state. I mean, I was in state prison when that happened, and that that crushed me. That oh my god, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't no, I wasn't no good. I was, I was lost. I was hurt. I was oh man, this still hurts me to this day. But yeah, I. You know, it, it hurt me bad. That's all I can say. And then, like, as far as, like, my brothers and my sisters, I mean, I was supposed to be the the bread and butter. I was the oldest. I was supposed to, you know, make it happen. And I let everybody down. And, and, and it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt. But, you know, I had to, you know, act like it didn't hurt. I had to fake it. I had to act like I was harder than I was. But at night, I would cry, you know? <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. But, yeah, it it, it, it was emotional. I, I know what it did to my son, everybody. And, you know, I, I apologize, but, you know, I just want to show you now I'm no longer who him no more. You know, I want to get everybody right. Because I own so much. Yeah, own a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, do you... Um I know with the episode of Old Heart, right, talked about maintaining relationships mm-hmm. in effort, right? Like, the thing I was thinking about was you have those familial relationships, right? Those familial relationships. Um, but you also have romantic relationships right. you kind of touched on, which is something that, like, for me, I never even thought about. I mean, aside from, like, maybe seeing something on TV every now and then. Talk to me about romantic relationships. Were you 
involved in that? Uh, to what degree? In inside? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Inside, you definitely gotta, <laughs> you definitely gotta do what you gotta do. You know, like I said, I was I was big pain back then, and I had I had cash. You know, I had weed. You know, I I had crack. You know, and in in prison was the first time I ever seen heroin. You know, I've never seen heroin on the street. When I went to Orion back in the day, that was the first place I seen heroin at. And they had, you know, they would go to the hospital and get clean needles and all that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I had some, you know, relationship with, with different uh, nurses and a couple COs that, that was in there, you know. And, you know, and that's what you do. And, you know, that way you have relationships with them. And now they're bringing you in the pack, see, you know, because, you know, on the street, they're not getting told you, you look beautiful today. They're not getting told all these little sweet things, you know, how good your perfume smells. You know, their boyfriend or their husband or nobody on the street ain't paying attention to their perfume. They're not paying attention that she got a new haircut. They're not paying attention that she's wearing eyeliner today and, you know, and she didn't have none on yesterday. But in prison, you pay attention to that. You pay attention to the little details. And then you explore, that's how you get them. You're giving them little compliments every day. And then sooner or later, they're looking for you to give them that compliment. And that's how you reel them in. You know, just like just like when people come in from, like like guys in prison, they don't go to church or they don't go to, a lot of them don't, I ain't going to say, oh, church or like, like special events that's happening in prison unless there's going to be some outside women come in. If there's outside women coming in, oh, that place is crowded. Everybody's in there and they and they pressed up blues and everybody, you know, they done cut their hair, they done shaved, they trying to get the eye contact with one of them women that's coming in from the street. All it takes is eye contact. And if she look at you and then she look away, then she look back at you, now I got you. Now I got you. That's how we're working through our eyes. And they and they sense that. There's a lot of women come in with them programs that guys end up having relationships with. That's what, I mean, that's that's what you shoot for. That's what every guy in penitentiary wants. A, a female CEO or a female coming in with, with off the street through a Christian-based thing or, or anything, some kind of event. I mean, that's what you live for. And once you accomplish that, oh, you straight. Because, you know, sooner or later, now you got them real thin. Now they're going to be sending you money. Because you send them these letters, and these letters is like, you know, telling them things that they ain't never heard. They don't hear that on the street. That's the game, you know. Then once you lock them in, you good. Now, you know, sometimes once you lock them in, now you got them coming to visits, and you got them bringing in them blooms, you know, bringing in that weed, bringing in them pills. I mean, that's what it is. You know, you use people on the street in the joint as stepping stones so for your satisfaction because, you know, People might act like, you know, the guys in there, oh, he loves me because he writes me. No, you just part of the game. You know what I'm saying? And then once I get out, I probably ain't going to holler at you again anyway. Because, you know, the last, what, four or five months of the bit anyway, all my old women is coming back. So, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I know them more than I know you. I don't know you through nothing but these old letters. And I done tore most of them up. You know what I mean? And I got five other people I'm writing besides you because... I can't just live off your little money. I got to live off their money too. So, I mean, it's just really a game. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, you know, I had relationships in, 
in, in prison with, with, with female uh, COs and nurses and all that and pen pals and you know I, 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 I used them too at one time or another you know what I'm saying because I didn't have no I, I, I don't call home for no money I don't call home for that no I got to make it off the land Get out. I put myself here so I got to make myself eat while I'm here but yeah that happens all the time it's like, it's like people were getting it seems like, like even through like romantic relationships which you know should I guess should be like something to kind of like raise the spirits as you were talking about in Hulk Park right uh-huh. those people end up getting pulled in to a certain degree like they're involved in the system like you said they're bringing stuff in right for you. Yeah, that, that, that's how it works, you know, because like I say, the, the whole thing is the, as we say, not a CEO or not a, a woman from the outside. That means, you know, get get in, get her attention, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and get in her head, you know, and then once you're in her head, you've got control. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of women out here, they'll sit at home all day and wait on your phone call, you know, have phone sex. And all that, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. But like we say, they got a chance to leave, but they don't want to leave. So you might as well get them for the for what you can get them for, because they're they're out they're out there, and you're in there. If they're gonna keep doing what you ask them to do, hey, that's a benefit for me. But once I get out, don't expect me to be with you, because that's not part of the deal. That's how that works. If you had to, if you had to, just give a flat answer, yes or no, do you think? relationships in prison are a wise decision or not? No, no. It's not a wise decision at all. Because, uh, I mean, you don't even know each other. You ain't even been with each other. You don't even know, other than what I told you, you don't even know my favorite food. You don't even know my favorite color. I mean, you don't, you don't know nothing about me. You know, it says, except for what I done told you. And what I done told you, evidently you like it because you're still here. So I ain't going to tell you no more to mess it up. So no, that's not a good idea. Not knocking none of my guys in the joint, man. I ain't trying to knock y'all, man. I just got to keep it real, player. Don't get mad at me, man. That's, I mean, that's the important part of having these conversations, though, yeah. right? It's like, you know, if somebody is in prison listening to this, you know, right. that might be something they need to hear. So I think probably the last one to maybe wrap up kind of like the questions about you, and then I want to certain stuff that's happening. Okay. Right yeah, now. yeah, I want to hit I want to hit that. Too. Probably probably the, the biggest one that I was looking for and I think this will probably help most people is what mistakes did you make and for people that are potentially in your position before you went to prison the first time, right? Before you ended up in state and all that. What advice could you give them? What what advice I would give a guy, man, is the Find out what you like. Find out what you want to do in life. Don't always go for what somebody else wants you to do. Because if you're not happy with what you're doing, you're not going to do it long. And and my best advice for any guy, I really want to talk to like the young athletes and all that. There's a whole lot of peer pressure out there on you guys, man. There is a whole lot, especially the way the, the world is today. Everybody wants to be the next LeBron or KD, uh, you know, Durant. I mean, every, everybody wants to be these guys, man. But you got to understand what them guys had to go through to be who they are. They had to go through the hard work, the dedication, lose friends, lose sleep, just to make yourself better. Plus hit the books 
and it, it's a lot of work to be even in college even in then to go to the next level you got to put in the extra hour work you can't just put in for the when everybody watching your work you got to put in the behind the, the behind the, the wall work you got to keep your body and keep your mind right and you got to stay away from negative distractions because the bigger the better you are in sports the more people you're going to have that's trying to be in your circle and everybody ain't your friend in your circle a lot of them pats on the back a lot of them is knives so you got to be careful of who you let in your circle some people might say you're selfish so what you won't have to be selfish if you want to make yourself into a better person because everybody is your friend now you can't take them to the top with you everybody can't go with you so my advice to, to guys and i wish somebody would have gave me this advice is go with your heart go with your heart man and you know what if it makes you happy that's what you do don't live your life to make nobody else happy and speak up for yourself if you feel something ain't right don't hold it in because that that sixth sense that is usually the one that's telling you something ain't right as they say if something don't feel right it usually ain't right you know and and, and like if you ain't got a father figure or any kind of male role model in your life it's extra hard on 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 kids like that because I was one. We have to we have to do things by ourselves. We can we can have strong moms, strong grandmas, strong grandpa, but if you ain't got that that male role model in your life that you that you respect, if you're 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 missing the final ingredient because you're going to need someone who's been down the road that you're traveling. And they might have slipped and failed, but they've been down that road. And they know what to tell you to do to not take their steps, but to take your own. Where can you find that role model? Well, I think where you can find that role model, and that and that's a good question. You know, I didn't have I didn't I didn't know where to find it. I mean, I didn't I didn't have a clue. Because the ones who could have been a role model in my life, my uncle and, and people like that. Hell, they don't. They didn't care about you if you had the same last name as them, you know. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, if you're in that position and and you need a role model, you need somebody to talk to. I would say, you know, I would be your role model. You know, I will be your role model. Hit up prim, uh, prison to promise number two, uh, with nineteen eighty one at gmail.com I will be your role model because I know what you're going through I know how you feel I know how it feels to be out here and you're good at what you're doing but you're still lonely you're still missing something your mind ain't right because home ain't right and and, and you, you want to do better but you feel like you can't you feel like you can't get off the couch you feel like you can't do it can't always remember can't ain't a word can't is not a word so change that can to can. And you know, and I will be your your mentor, your big brother, your your guy that you need when you think you can't talk to mom and dad because they don't understand. I understand. Because there ain't too much in that sports world I ain't did. I just ain't made it to the big show. You know? But yeah, I will be that one that you can count on. You know, or hit me up any kind of way. We have more information after the show. 
I mean, get a hold of him, man, because I know how it feels. I was you. And, you know, I wish I would have had somebody to talk to. If I did, I wouldn't probably be here making prison a promise right now. So last week's show uh, with Terrence, yeah. right, he was talking about being a patriarch in his family. Yeah. And that was something that he really had to work on, too. Right. He talked about the rewards, though. I just was reflecting on that, too. Um, but, yeah, I think like that's something that's super important about what you're doing is I think there's a lot of people that don't have that role model that need a place to find it, and this could be that starting point, right? So right. the thing I encourage people listening and watching, yeah, hit us up on the Gmail, hit us up on social media, like I'll be here to talk to you. Um, so yeah, there's nothing there's nothing you have to lose. So that's one that's one big thing. But um, I guess to kind of close it out, we'll probably hit with some of the bigger questions here, right? But and especially talking about the situation of like fatherlessness, right? Not mm-hmm. having a positive role model. I know that's a big thing that I hear in conversations around uh, so- social issues in the black community, right? I'm reading a book right now where they're talking about the percentage of um, black families that don't have that father figure, mm-hmm. right? In your opinion, this is one of those hard questions, right? I wanted to jump yeah. in. I want to hit some of those hard questions. This is that like area where I'm totally uncomfortable, like totally on trot ground. But what do you think the biggest problem facing the black community is today? The biggest problem facing the black community today is trust. We don't trust nobody. Who can we trust? We can't trust each other. We can't, as they say, you can't trust the white man, as they say. You can't trust your neighbor. I mean, it's trust. You can't trust the preacher. Who can you trust? Because you see what the preacher do every day, you know, in the hood, you know, running around, messing with different women. I mean, you see the preacher, then the deacon, you see him doing all that. And then... They want to come and try to tell you how to live. Or you see the preacher doing this and that, that, that you feel is ungodly or, or you know that it's ungodly, but then they want to tell you to be godly. And then you see that the, the brothers in the neighborhood who, are, who who has money and doing that, but they won't help nobody in the neighborhood. You know, so, and, and only ones you, you can't trust nobody. And that's the biggest thing. You can't, it's trust. You got to build up trust with people in the hood, man. You got to build up trust in the black community. If they don't trust you, they're not going to fool with you. You're a target for real. You know, so the black community is like, who can we trust? We can't even trust each other. You know, and so we can't trust our own. How can we trust anybody else? You know, so I would say trust. You know, that's something you got to build up in the black community, and there is no trust in the in the hood. Only ones you can trust, and you really can't trust all of them, is, is the gang that you're affiliated with. You know, them the only ones, that's why they get in gangs out there. Them is the only ones that they can trust. They feel, because you know, they can't trust nobody else. You can't trust the cops, you can't trust, like I say, the preacher and all of them. You can't, you can't trust the, the leaders. I mean, because everybody talks about what they're going to do, but no one does anything. And so that's why you don't trust them, because everybody talks and nobody's action. So, you know, you, you can't trust. That's the biggest thing wrong with the with, with the, uh, the the black hoods and the, and the blacks right now. All of us, man, we don't trust a motherfucker. And just put it blank. We don't trust. So here's, my, here's a, a question 
that I was reflecting on for a while, and I think it is potentially even part of the reason that I, I really want to help the show. I mean, the first reason is because I genuinely believe what you're doing, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think it is incredibly impactful, as I just said, with kind of that, you know, you know sharing about how you want people to reach out, right? Right. You know, here's my position, right? Is like, for me, I'm a white dude. I would describe myself as more of a libertarian, I think, politically <laughs> than anything else. I'm not Republican or Democrat. Right. I'm somewhere in the middle. More socially conservative as a Christian. But, you know, one of the things I was reflecting on was, for me, you know, before I really met you, I mean, I, I, I don't even know how I would have ever gotten in contact with you, right? Right. And my life is that much better because I've learned these experiences. I've learned, you know, I mean, really how to improve myself through what you talked about. Right. right. And... The question I have is like, how do people such as myself, right, where we may never, we may have never talked before or worked on the show together, how do how do I help? How does how do people like me help out with this situation? Because it's a it's a serious yeah. situation. Right? I, I, I mean, the, the the biggest help that people out there could 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 give is is their support, because I mean. It, it's 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 difficult to say because everybody says that you know what can I do to help? What can I do to help? I mean, when when everybody sees what the problem is, you know, when you see what the problem is, that's like asking a bum on the street, "Do you need some money?" You know he do. So you know everybody, we're all seeing the same thing. So we, you know, the the way to help is, is back some organizations. And, and get to know, you know, people of, of different colors and everything. Get to know them and, and hear their story. And, and, they, and you share your story. And then you find out you have more in common than you have, you know, not in common. Because we are all got so much in common, man. As my old buddy Mark Powell said, we're more alike than we are different. You know? And, you know, just get an understanding. You got to get an understanding of people because as a, as a black man... My view on things is is different than your view because my life has been different than yours. So if we got to get on the same page by sharing our ideas, sharing our thoughts, and then coming up with a game plan because two heads is better than one. You know, using using I'm going to say it like this: using your white version, and using my black version, we come up with a gray version. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, we got it. We can come up with something, but we got it. But we got to work together. We got to share ideas. We got to share strengths. We got to share weaknesses. We got to share with each other and then get to know each other. And then we can share and get to know other people. Yeah. It's, it's going to take unity in this because it's not a black problem. It's not a white problem. It's a people problem. And in order for the people to fix the people problem, people got to come together to fix the problem. Because, you know, we all know what the problem is. And we all, you know, some is playing like that ain't the problem. You know, race ain't the problem or this ain't the problem. But we all know what the problem is. And so, you know, ain't no sense in keep going over beating that same dead horse. Let's just make something happen, you know, and come together, white and black, and let's come up with a gray area and make this thing work. You know, the help is like communication. That's true. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really awesome. And yeah, like that's the thing, that's the thing that I'm saying is like, I think conversations like this where we sit down and we just talk, you know, like in the thing where you're talking about the gray version, right? I really like that. <laughs> I really like that gray version. Because the thing I was thinking about was like, how true is that, right? Like when you reached out to me, like I know how to do the 
media stuff. Right. But you've got the stories, you've got the experience. Like we came together. Yeah. It's an awesome show, right? Be a team. Yeah. That's what it's take. Teamwork make the dream work. Yeah. So I think I think it's awesome. But um, let's uh, let's close up. This has been a great interview. I've been Dan Lyons, uh, producer for Prison of Promise. Take away, All right, now this Thomas Payne, Prison Promise OG Tale of Redemption. I hope you guys had a lot of information out of what we did today. And I want every, I want to share with everybody, you know, my experience and my stories. And I want everybody else, if you've got a story or something you want to share, you know, get a hold of me, man, at, at prison, the number two, promise1981 at gmail.com. Get with me, man, or get on my Facebook page, Prison of Promise OG's Tale of Redemption. Holler at me, man, and, and let's try to make this work, man. Let's try to make something happen. Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. So this has been Thomas Payne, Prison of Promise, OG, Tell of Redemption. Peace out, y'all. Prison of Promise is a podcast by Thomas Payne and produced by Dan Lyons. If you want to get a hold of Prison of Promise for any situation, you need our help, or you want to just talk to us, hit us up at prison number 2 promise 1981 at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Prison to Promise and OG's Tales of Redemption, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Spotify. Peace out, y'all.